All right, God bless. Sister Michelle is going to be bringing the word of God. Without further ado, Sister Michelle. Good morning, church. My husband is something else. He saved a man's life yesterday. He did. It's our friend Dick that we bring food to frequently. You know that we always get extra food for Dick. Well, Dick called him in the morning, and I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but essentially he had fallen to the ground. He's diabetic. And um, when Jerry called him, he didn't sound right. He sounded like he was either on drugs or high or drunk or or had had a stroke. And, uh, And so Jerry just dropped whatever he was doing. And believe me, he's got plenty to do. And he ran up to the guy's house and uh, found him on the ground and, and had his son call 911. And, um, and Dick actually said to him later in the day when he called him from the hospital, you, you saved my life. So I'm so proud of my husband. I'm, I'm proud of the way the Lord is using my husband. That's what I want to start with today. It's a, long, a bit lengthier story about my husband. They say a girl's not supposed to brag on her boy or, or else all the other girls are going to want him. <laughs> So I'm a little bit reluctant to share this. Stand back. That's my, that's my guy. Jerry has been getting these uh, scam phone calls from India about uh, we have your social security number and you have to call and you're in big trouble. Boy, you're going to go to jail and all da, 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 da. And, you know, so who do you think you are? And the guy, he's, he, he's talking to India. Now, Jerry's lived in India, so he knows a little bit about the culture. He kind of knew a little bit about how to get to this guy. He said, isn't your mother ashamed of you? What kind of shame are you bringing to your family because of the work that you do? I'm not bringing shame to my family. I, I'm, I'm just fine. I love my work. And he kept on him. He kept on him. No, you're doing something wrong. You're acting bad. You're a thief and a scoundrel. You're stealing money from people. You're taking advantage of people. And uh, he began to converse with this fellow. The fellow's name was Darch, and he spoke perfectly good English, so they could have a good long conversation. They spoke for about 40 minutes. Turns out Darch has been in prison five times, and his dad always gets him out because his dad is a police commissioner. You know, I was listening to this conversation the whole time I was at my desk, and he was nearby, and I was, I was, my ears were perking up. What's he going to do with this conversation? Where's it going to go? And indeed, eventually, he says, well, have you ever heard of Jesus? Do you know that Jesus has a better life in store for you? Yes, I've heard of Jesus. He wants better for you than this. You don't have to be wasting your life in this way. He wants good things for you. He has abundant life for you. And he started to talk to him about Jesus. And finally, after a long time, and the tears are pouring down my eyes at this point, he leads him in a sinner prayer, and the young man asks Jesus, to come into his heart. And what was really funny to me was he started the phone call, I want you to quit calling me. And he ends the phone call, do you have my phone number? I want to make sure you call me. (laughs) I want to make sure you call me and tell me how this this new life in Jesus is going for you. It was really remarkable. And the reason I tell the story is because it ties in with my message today because when I came over and gave my husband a hug and just praised God for using him in that way, I said, you know, was he faking that? Was he just, you know, drawing you along? Maybe his boss was telling him, don't let the guy off the phone, just, just go along with him. 
Or did he, did he really get saved right in that moment? And we had to confess that we don't know. We don't know. We don't know what was going on. But Jerry said something to me, and his, his answer to my question is the basis for my message today. He said, I'm not the farmer. I'm just the seed planter. I planted the seeds. It's up to God. It's up to God. And it, it brought to mind 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 7. And by the way, I'm going to be reading you a lot of scripture today. I hope that's okay. I hope you have the attention to hear quite a bit of scripture today. But there's a scripture uh, in Paul's writings. He says, who's Paul? Who's Apollos? Who are we? We're nobody. But ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, he says, Paul, I planted. Apollos watered. But God gave the increase. God gave the increase. So neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. And Jerry who gives the increase. And you and me who give the increase. We can plant seeds. And that's why this message is called a springtime tribute to seed planting. Because we're little seed planters. I have to say, February has always been my favorite month of the year because, at least in California, where, I mean, you go to Virginia, they've got the green hills all year round, but we, you know, we have to wait for February to come around and the winter rains have been all over the hills and, and all of a sudden those green, a brilliant green comes out in those hills and it's just so beautiful and there's such a sense of hopefulness about it. And such a sense of, you know, we're going to come out of the winter now. We're going to have some warm weather, and it's going to be springtime soon. We're going to have flowers. And February is where you start to see the plum and the cherry trees blooming. And it's, so, it's just so beautiful. I have to say, you know, um, when we look at the beauty of the earth and the productivity of it and the, the fecundity, the yearly cycle when, you know, things are waiting in the earth, to come forth and they come forth. It's just such a beautiful reflection of God's life-giving power. It's a picture of him. And uh, we have this scripture in, in Romans that says, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. So we can look at those green hills and we can say, yes, there is a God. Yes, there is a God. That was Romans 1.20, if you're taking that down. And that first scripture, Paul talking about planting and watering, that was 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 7. I'll, I'll try and be more courteous about giving you the scripture addresses. Sister Florence has taken them down, I know for sure. So that was Romans 1.20 right there. And, you know... Um, the word has been planted in us in a spiritual sense, and we are to bear fruit. In John 15:16, Jesus says that you're to bear much fruit, and, and it's fruit that will last, which means it's not of this world. The fruit that we're to bear is spiritual fruit that's eternal. So we're supposed to grow. We're supposed to grow. And we, we learn that we're supposed to grow in Ephesians 4. But basically the idea is like if, if you're a seed and you send up a shoot from the ground and you just sit there and you're a shoot and you never grow beyond that, that's clearly not a healthy plant. We are called to grow. We are called to grow. And so Ephesians 4, verses 
14 and 15 says we should no longer be children. I'm skipping a little bit. It says we should no longer be children, but grow up in all things into him who is the head. So we're growing up into him. And the interesting thing, and I I hope you find this as interesting as I do, is that we have this example in Jesus. And so I want to talk about Jesus the seed. Jesus the seed. Now, very early on in the Bible, only in the very third chapter of the Bible, we read about Jesus the seed. And it's immediately after the fall. And God reveals that even just right after Adam and Eve have fallen, he already has a remedy in place. Because 1 Peter 1.20 tells us that he was ordained before the foundation of the world. So this remedy was in place before there was even a person, but was manifest in these last times for you, manifest in Jesus. So we read in Genesis 3.15 about this seed. And it says, this is, this is God, and he's speaking to the snake in the garden after the fall. And he says, I will put enmity between you, snake, and the woman, and between your seed, snake seed, evil seed, devil seed, and her seed. He, that, the woman's seed, is going to bruise your, your snake head and you shall bruise his heel. And indeed, the snake was not able to bruise Jesus' head. He was only able to wound him on his heel. He wasn't able to do any mortal damage to Jesus. He just hurt him a little bit. But what Jesus did to the snake was he crushed him. He crushed his head. So this is actually Jesus being spoken about as the seed that is in the woman. So Jesus is the seed. Now, this seed was planted in Eve, and Eve is the mother of all humanity and all those generations that came after her. There was one particular line of her generations that was the line of the Messiah. It was her son, Seth. And then Seth, you know, I won't give you all the generations, but we've got Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And Jacob is the same as Israel. Israel has the 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. And of those 12 tribes, who can tell me which tribe is the tribe of the Messiah? Lion of the tribe of Judah. And then generations more, I won't name them all, but then we have Boaz, who's featured in the book of Ruth. And his son is Jesse, or Obed. And Obed's son is Jesse. And then Jesse's son is David, King David, and we understand that the Messiah is the greater son of David, all the way down, all the way down to Jesus. And, and I, I just kind of think of this, this anatomical fact when I think about Eve with her eggs and her seed in her body. Did you know, and this is an amazing fact, and I, I, I had to confirm it for the book that I'm writing, so I, I did confirm it in some um, various many sources, not just one, that the human female baby in the womb at 20 weeks, that's really not very old, at 20 weeks of development in the womb, the human female baby has all the eggs that she will need for her whole life. 
And in fact, she has more than she needs. In fact, she has six to seven million eggs in her ovaries at 20 weeks of development in the womb. Isn't that amazing? Now what happens is that most of those eggs um, explode and they become nutrition for the other eggs. And then through the course of your life, you menstruate, you slough off the eggs that are not fertilized, and you may end up by the time you're um, menstruating with three to 400 eggs. And those are the eggs that you deal with on a monthly basis, unless you're my daughter and you have so many children that you never menstruate, so you've probably got a whole lot more eggs stacked up in there. But, because uh, <laughs> she's got so many kids. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, I just think about that when I think about Eve, as though in her ovaries she's carrying like all those eggs that are going to make all those babies that are all leading up to that one egg that somehow miraculously got fertilized by the Lord, by the Holy Spirit, and made a God-man, the God-man. It's so amazing. So, let's go back to how Jesus is the seat. We see this again uh, when we read about uh, King David, because remember that Jesus is considered He's part of the promise, the covenant of God, that there's going to be a great king that comes after, or a son of David, that is, that is um, going to be the Messiah. So we, so we read in 2 Samuel 7, and I've picked out verses 12 and 16. That's 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 and 16. And this is the prophet Nathan speaking to King David, God speaking through Nathan to David. And God is saying through Nathan, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. Now, there's a psalm that I was reading about the time that this event took place with my husband in Darch in India, and um, it just gave me such a sense of the planting of seeds and the abundance of the earth and the seed planting that God does that I wanted to read you a great deal of this Psalm 72. Uh, It's a psalm that King David wrote for his son, Solomon, who was about to become the king. So this 72 is written as a prayer for his son David's son Solomon. So David is, you know, putting his mind to what kind of a good king he wants his son to be. But really understand that as we read it, he is talking about that greater son too. I don't know if he knows that, but we, when we read it, we understand that this is a, has a messianic reference too. So it's not just about Solomon. It's really about Jesus who is to come. So I'm going to read you portions, not the entire psalm, of 72. Are we ready? Give the king your judgments, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. He will judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. The mountains will bring peace to the people. He shall come down like rain upon the grass before mowing 
like showers that water the earth. In his days the righteous shall flourish, and abundance of peace until the moon is no more. There will be an abundance of grain in the earth, on the top of the mountains. Its fruit shall wave like Lebanon, and those of the city shall flourish like grass of the earth. His name shall endure forever. His name shall continue as long as the sun. And men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only does wondrous things. And blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. And we can just feel not only the love of the, the Father for the earth and bringing forth the abundance of the earth and the grass and sending down rain and growth, but also just how he pictures the work of the Messiah that is going to cause his people to flourish and bear beautiful fruit in him. And the whole earth will be filled with his glory. That's, that's the ultimate. That's, that's the reasoning. That's the purpose. You all wondering what your purpose is? It's to bring glory to God. To bring glory to God. Jesus the seed becomes Jesus the shoot. Let's look at Jesus the shoot. We have a number of scriptures in which, and they're both in Isaiah... We're going to just look at two of them, in which Jesus is referred to as a shoot. The first one, I'm going to read Isaiah 11, verses 1 and 2, and skip over, because it's kind of continuous, 11 and 12 have continuity. So I'm going to skip over to Isaiah 12, 1 through 3. That's Isaiah 11, 1 and 2, and 12, 1 through 3. Then a shoot will spring forth. From the stem of Jesse. Now remember Jesse was David's father. So Jesse's part of the lineage as well. So from the stem of Jesse comes a shoot and a branch. We're going to get to the branches in a minute. And a branch from his roots will bear fruit. And this is the Lord. The fruit is the Lord. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, then you will say on that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for although you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. Behold, God is what? My salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and song and has become my salvation. Therefore, you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. That's what this shoot is all about. It's all about salvation. It's all about the living water. And that's for us. That's for us. And now I'm going to read a fairly lengthy passage from Isaiah 53. I know you would rather hear the words of God than the words of Michelle. So I don't feel bad about reading you these lengthy passages. 
I do have to say, though, that in case you're not familiar with Isaiah 53, it is the one chapter in the entire Bible that most closely pictures Jesus. And it was written 700 years before Jesus lived by the prophet Isaiah. And it is frequently used in Jewish evangelism. Because if you read this to a Jew, they'll say, well, that's your New Testament you're reading to me from. And you say, no, it's not. It's your ancient Hebrew scriptures that I'm reading from. And that's a really good basis on which to uh, witness to Jewish people. So this is a very important chapter. And it talks about a shoot. And that's why I'm reading it to you. I'm not reading you the entire chapter of Isaiah 53, just selections. For he grew up before him, before God, like a tender shoot. And like a root out of parched ground. He was he has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we know we are healed. That's from Isaiah 53. I'm going to just carry on a little bit. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Is that not true? Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity, that's a word for sin, of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter. And like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. He poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. That chapter talks about how he was um, buried in a rich man's tomb, which occurred with Jesus and lots of other beautiful. It's just a beautiful chapter of the Bible. So that work of substitutionary atonement, which is described here, the piercing and the bearing of our iniquities, that all comes from a tender shoot. That's the shoot. Now the shoot becomes a branch. So let's look at Jesus, the branch. We've had a seed. It became a shoot. Now we're looking at Jesus, the branch. And I'm going to read to you from Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6. Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David, right? We have David and we have another reference to the lineage of the Messiah. Because this is Jeremiah also writing long before Jesus lived. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David, 
a righteous branch. And he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called. Adonai Tzikenu, which means the Lord, our righteousness. And again from Jeremiah. This time it's Jeremiah 33, verses 14 and 15. It's Jeremiah 33, verses 14 and 15. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good word which I have spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch of David to spring forth, and he shall execute justice and righteousness on the earth. And finally, one more branch is found in Zechariah. 6, verses 12 and 13. Zechariah is the second to last uh, book of the Old Testament, just before Malachi. Zechariah and Haggai were two prophets who were speaking for the Lord at about the time that Ezra and Nehemiah and all those people went back from captivity and they went back to Jerusalem to rebuild. Zechariah was one of the prophets in those days. So this is from Zechariah 6, verses 12 and 13. Then say to him, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, a man whose name is Branch, for he will branch out from where he is, and he will build the temple of the Lord. Yet it is he who will build the temple, yes, it is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and he who will bear the honor and sit and rule on his throne. Thus he will be a priest. On his throne, and the council of peace will be between the two offices. In other words, he's going to be something that Israel had not had before. The Lord instructed Israel that you don't have a king to be a priest, you have separate offices. That's the root of our system of government that we have an executive branch and a legislative branch and a judicial branch. You don't have a judge who's the president. Those three branches of government, the same was the case. That came from ancient Israel. You're not supposed to have a king who's a priest. But Zechariah says, this king is also a priest. That's a new thing. Well, you might be wondering, we've gone from seed to shoot to branch. What about Jesus the tree? There is no scripture that specifically speaks of Jesus as a tree. However, when he died, he hung on a tree. And the fruit that he bore as he hung on that tree was the fruit of our salvation. That tree was the cross at Calvary. A lot of people speak of the tree of life that's in the Garden of Eden that reappears at the end of times. In the New Jerusalem, the tree of life reappears. It flow, it's, it's planted by a stream that flows out from the throne of God. And on either side, on both sides of that uh, river that flows from the throne of God in the New Jerusalem, there's the tree of life. And because Jesus is our life and he is life, 
many commentators speak of the tree of life as a way of understanding who Jesus is, but he's never really named that in the Bible. We can understand him that way. Uh, you can read about that tree of life in Revelation 22. Revelation 22, verses 1 and 2. But he hung on a tree. He hung on a tree. He was a seed planter. So we have Jesus the seed, Jesus the shoot, Jesus the branch. We have Jesus hanging on a tree, but we also have Jesus as a seed planter. He teaches about his planting and his sowing of seeds in the parable of the sower in Matthew 13. Matthew 13, we learned about it from Sister Tanika in Sunday schools, full of wonderful parables. And one of them is this parable of the sower. And he explains the parable of the sower. He says that the seeds that he plants, the seeds are the word of God. He plants the word. And he's looking for a certain kind of soil that's going to take these seeds of the word and bear fruit. And, and bear fruit and bring forth a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold from what was planted. And then there's the other soils that are not so good. But Jesus is a seed sower. And the sowing that he's doing, the seeds that he's sowing are the word. So in a sense, he's planted himself in us because he's planted the word in us. I just thought of a scripture that I didn't write down. I kind of want to... Bingo! James 1.21 Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. So he planted the word in us. And he pictures himself in John 15 as a vine, not as a tree, but as a vine. And we're the branches of the vine. And as long as we're plugged into that life source of the vine... We can bear fruit. It's not any fruit that we made up. It's fruit from his Holy Spirit, his power that works in us. If we don't abide in him, the branch dries up and gets thrown like I... This just meant so much to me when Pastor Fred said, you throw the sticks on the back of the truck and they get taken to the furnace and burned. Yeah, that's what happens to the branches that are not connected to the life source. They dry up. They have no usefulness anymore. So if we can be branches on Jesus' vine and have the word implanted in us that is able to save our souls, as in James 1.21, is it possible that we followers of Jesus can actually grow up and be trees? Yes. We can. We can be trees. We find this in Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. And then I'm going to read, I'm going to read three different passages. I think I'm going to read four. If I have time. Do I have time? I do. Okay. The reason I love to read you Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3, is because Jesus himself taught from this scripture when he was in the synagogue. He himself, and he said, this scripture has been fulfilled in your, in your hearing. In other words, I'm the one that's being spoken of in this scripture of Isaiah. 
So this is what Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 3 says. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me, upon me, Jesus. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Is there any broken hearts that have been bound up by Jesus in this room? I can say I have one. Yep. The Lord has anointed me, me, Jesus, to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. And here it comes. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, and he may be glorified. Again, what's the purpose of it? That he may be glorified. That he may be glorified. So those of us that Jesus has come to serve and has been anointed to, to minister to, we may be called oaks of righteousness. So yes, God's work does enable us to be trees. And this, this uh, next reading is one which sometimes I read over my husband because in the Jewish tradition on Shabbat, which is Friday night, we um, bless one another with an exchange of readings. The husband will read Proverbs 31 about the, the wife who's uh, far above rubies. Not that I'm far above rubies, but we can always aspire, can't we? Frankly, sometimes I read about her and I'm like, I'm too far from that ideal. But anyway, the wife will read Psalm 1 over her husband. So I'm going to read this over my husband who saved a man's life yesterday and who possibly led Darch in India to the Lord. And you're going to see that my husband is a tree. How blessed is the man who does not walk. My husband Jerry does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight, my husband's delight, is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, my husband meditates day and night. Jerry will be like a tree, firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. Moving on to Jeremiah. I'll read you Jeremiah 17, verses 7 and 8. Jeremiah 17, verses 7 and 8. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord, for he will be like a tree planted by the water that it extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in a year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. And finally, I'm going to read you from Psalm 92, verses 12 through 14. That's Psalm 92, 
verses 12 through 14. The righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still yield they will still yield fruit in old age. They shall be full of sap and very green. I know you elders are going to want to hear that. Still yielding fruit in old age. And I just want to remind you of why we received this honor of becoming the planting of the Lord, the trees of God, the oaks of righteousness. And it was back to that Isaiah 61.3, that he may be glorified. That he may be glorified. So I'm going to bring my message to a close now by, um, you know, Sam was in here earlier about his son and he needed patience. His two-year-old. I'm going to... Three-year-old, which if anybody says there's such a thing as terrible too, it's because they've never lived with a three-year-old. I call them the terrible threes. Maybe you can carry home this prayer to him because we are filled with the Holy Spirit when we ask the Spirit to fill us with his fruit. We bear his fruit, and that fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Those are things that a parent needs for a three-year-old. Patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control. So we are trees in the Lord. Let's ask the Lord right now to fill us with his Holy Spirit, that you might become spreaders of the seed of the word of God, the gospel, the good news, that others may hear and may be changed like this man in India, that we may bear fruit that lasts, fruit that remains from John 15, 16. He wants us to bear fruit that remains. And let's remember that that is eternal fruit. That is spiritual fruit. That's not just fruit of I made some money and the money will be gone one day. It's the fruit that lasts, fruit that will last. So please join me, bow your heads, and let's pray together. Lord God, we love these green hills of springtime. When we see the growth, when we saw the brown hills and everything looked dormant and dead, and yet you are the one, you are the resurrection. You bring things to life. You are the life-giving God. And we look at creation and we see you. We see your beautiful, perfect design, Lord God. And we know that we're part of this creation. We are part of your perfect design, Father God. We want to be oaks of righteousness, the plantings of the Lord. Lord, let it be that we are plantings of the Lord and that we can go forth and spread seeds of your word, seeds of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ just speak to somebody. It's so simple today. So those of us who, who crave to be fruitful trees, I, I ask you to say these words. Heavenly Father, fill me with your Holy Spirit today. Fill me with your spirit of love and joy and peace 
and patience and kindness and generosity and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And Lord, give us divine appointments that you have planned beforehand for us to encounter people that we can speak to about who you are and what you've done in our lives that, Lord, we would deserve and be worthy of the title Oaks of Righteousness, the planting of the Lord. We ask all this in the name of Jesus that you may be glorified, that the name of Jesus may be glorified. Amen.